Welcome to the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Starr. we got Paula Bovin here, formerly of Arizona, the Arizona Republic, and now of ASU. Happy to have her on. How are you doing? Good. Happy to be here. Wonderful. We got some talks in basketball, but I actually, this is the first time I'll be able to actually talk some journalism in here. I went to ASU, went to Cronkite School, the Barrett Honors there, and I really wish I had been there when you were teaching because that would have been really cool to do. <laughs> But I missed you. So why don't we first talk about why, what you've been, you've been famous for something recently in the last couple of months. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, I got a call a few months ago and I about fell out of my chair um, that I was being inducted into the Arizona Sports Hall of Fame. And really the person who called me, I knew, and I thought it was a joke for about two minutes because I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Because I, I was going in with such a great class. I mean, Dan Marley and Shane Doan and Anthony Robles and um, Bill Bidwell. I talk about guys who are sort of, you know, especially those first three connected with the community and well-liked. And so it was really cool to go in with that class. And then to go in as the first female journalist was pretty awesome, too. So, yeah, it, it was an amazing night. And I just felt so lucky to be, be invited into that. Well, congratulations. That is just really awesome. And yeah, it's just a testament to what you've done over the, over your career. It's been fantastic. Um, I want to start out with kind of, um, kind of everybody talks about journalism and how it's changed. What do you, what have you seen the changes from when you started in your career to now? Oh my gosh. You know, where do I start? I, you know, the, the, Eric, I think the toughest thing for me lately has been this sort of full on assault on journalism. Whether it's news or sports, the, the labels like fake news and the the questions about our credibility. So, I mean, I've never seen journalism have to be on such the defensive before, like it is now, and and that's been really hard for me to watch because while there there are bad journalists out there, I will tell you of all these per- people I've worked with over the years, and there's been a lot, and there's been many years. There's only, I only knew of a few bad seeds. And so to, for everyone to cast this sort of wide net and say that, you know, there's a lot of bad journalism out there is just wrong. So uh, I think part of our, my mission, even at Cronkite is sort of to, to fix that attack, at least go against it. Um, the other thing that's been interesting for me in journalism and sports journalism, particularly is how social media has just changed everything, right? It's, you know, we, we're teaching our students to promote themselves on social media. I taught a master sports journalism class last year. There were 14 students and I asked them, how many of you have read stories in the AZ Central, which is where I used to work? And, you know, about 12 of 14 raised their hand. And I said, how many of you go to the website? And zero, every single one of the 12 found their AZ Central Arizona Republic stories like uh, from social media, link on Twitter. And so I think, I think journalism has to be respectful of what social media has done. Um, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm on Twitter all the time. I, there, there are some bad things. You know, I think the rush to get the news first has created a lot of sloppy journalism. Um, that's been a little bit concerning. Um, but overall, I just think it's the way, you know, there's been so many changes in journalism, but that's certainly one of them. Yeah, it's definitely a, definitely a big thing. Um, have, is there, I guess I'm also wondering, have you seen a difference in the way we cover sports since you started covering sports? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, I started back in the day and so people weren't getting their news on the internet. So uh, when I started in journalism, we were writing game stories and people would open up the paper the next morning to really 
you know, see things that they hadn't seen before or, or learn about reactions and things like that. Uh, now you have got to be very creative in what you write because there's so much information available um, from blogs, from podcasts like yours, Eric, from um, newspapers and television. It's hard to find a fresh angle, a fresh voice sometimes. And so that's certainly, I think, one of one of the big challenges right now in journalism is to the, keep the reader's interest in, and keep the attention for sure. For sure. Um, what do you think of people sometimes, it's more of a commentator, athlete versus a, maybe a writer that has the uh, opposition, but have you heard of this, this thing, the, the eye test versus analytics and people saying it's really both, but some people rallying against what analytics is. Have you, what do you think about that? About idea? analytics sort of in general? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think there's a, a place, uh, and I understand both sides, you know, and I, you see it in baseball quite a bit. I mean, the guys who like to make pitching changes based on feel, right? Versus, versus new people who are coming in and crunch the numbers. I, it, it sounds like a wishy-washy answer, but I think the reality is there's a happy medium there. I think there's value in both. Um, there's no question numbers, uh, certainly in the NBA can provide some real information. But if you have the right coach and his ability to read players, I mean, you look at the Suns with that roster, sometimes there's great value in being able to try to read a 19-year-old because he'll make decisions not based on, you know, what he's done the last few years, but on emotions and inexperience and everything else. So, uh, yeah, I think there's something to the eye test. I think there's something to analytics, and I think there's something to gut feeling. I think the happy medium is sort of when they all merge but I don't think you can stick with just one for sure. For sure, yeah. Okay, let's move on to journalism. Um, I've heard some as as from your Twitter or other people's Twitter that you've tagged in, or you have rules in your class of certain things they can or can't do. What are some interesting ones that you found that have helped us steer these students along the course? Well, you know, a big one, and it's frankly been hard for a lot of our students to embrace initially is they have to stop being a fan when they're in you know what what I teach it's called the sports bureau and when Cronkite sports students are usually seniors they take our class and it's basically a newsroom they're in there from nine to five you know two to four days a week and we're like you know go cover your son's press conference uh cover this Diamondbacks game and their work is getting published and Things like that. So they're getting this sort of teaching hospital experience, but because it's, it's real world stuff and they're getting published, we insist that they treat it professionally. And that means no, no sort of cheering on social media. Um, uh, no, uh, sort of, even with ASU, we don't want them to tweet about that was a stupid move that ASU athletic director Ray Anderson made or, Oh, I love my Dodgers, blah, blah, blah. You know, And it's been a tough message to send to them because they're getting mixed signals because there has been an evolution in journalism in the past couple years where in sports journalism, there's been some sort of fanboys that have surfaced on social media. There have been, you know, sports journalists making statements about uh, politics, uh, which is not something that at Cronkite we want our students to do. And the, it's very divided. It's a very divided issue, but, and you'll find some of the biggest names in sports right now, um, making political statements, but we don't want our students to do that. So that's kind of been the biggest messages that we've been sending them lately. Yeah, I've kind of actually, because obviously I went through Cronkite for like all the classes, but it was actually before they really had a sports journalism program, which was kind of bummed me out a little bit, but I wasn't going to wait to take the classes later. 
Um, so I actually have this thing where when I'm watching games, I'm so understated because of that kind of training to not do it, even when I'm sitting by myself. It's mm-hmm. like there's, I all say, oh, good, good shot. But it's like, I'm looking at the refs and like, it's, you hardly disagree with the refs when you become object, objective because you see how bang, bang the plays are, how much it, it could go either way and how they, how they do the game. People are always saying the ref made a bad call. I'm like, well, not really. If you yeah. Yeah. It. They'll always go to that bad call card, yeah. don't they? Exactly. <laughs> well, so, it, you know, it's great that, to hear yeah. that you. Yeah, well, it's good to, that you've, it's kind of stuck with you. And, you know, there is a place in journalism for opinion and commentary. Those are sports columnists or, uh, you know, I think even on podcasts, there's, there's places for that. But it's just when these students are covering stories and as a, as a sort of a beat reporter, um, we just don't want them to cross that line. And that's really what you have to start with. Cause I mean, that's what I did when I had to do stories. I was covering a high school game for class and other things like that. And you have to become super objective. And that's why after three or four years of graduating, now I'm doing the podcast where you get to have the commentary, you get out of the, you earn it. You earn the ability to have an opinion after Absolutely. going through what you've done, what everybody else has done. If there's a republic and elsewhere, you learn and earn how to do it correctly without, um, without being rash. Cause people, some people are reckless mm. with their opinions. Um, and right. You kind of find out that you're like, like I've done that a couple, a couple of people on the suns. Like I've, I've, I do a podcast. And I'm like, I probably was a little too harsh. You, like there's still people you need to be aware of that even mm-hmm. if they may frustrate you. So you got to balance that with being objective and being, this is my opinion on the, what I, what I'm seeing on the court. No question about it. And, you know, the sort of following up on what you're saying, I think you sort of earn that respect from those you cover, too. If if you've spent five, ten years covering a team and doing it uh, uh, objectively and fairly and going to practices and getting to know people, I think if you make that next step toward being a sports columnist or a commentator, you'll have that much more credibility because they know that you came in with an objective eye, even if you have a subjective one now. And even if, say, you say something negative or it's, ne- it's, and it's rightly negative about a player who's maybe younger, who, who may rally against that and say, Hey, mm-hmm. but you're like, but the people in the upper organization or other writers, they know you, they know your work as an objective person, you, me, everybody in general, and they know, okay, this person's being fair. They're, even though what they say may sound unfair to the player or whoever is, is being talked about, it's, it's, you build up that reputation and the, the more ironclad it can be, the more weight you can have in terms of having an opinion. Absolutely. And, and they may not even agree with what you said, but they know that it's coming from a place of sort of thoughtfulness and, and reporting and education and those kind of things. And it may motivate them to, to take another look at themselves and try to make it whatever it is better, even if they're already trying it. For sure. Um, what else? When you're talking to your, your students there, what are some, I mean, I've heard of the, the no profanity one in your articles, which I always agreed with. Um, and like I've, I've, I have an editor. I'm editing somebody right now on my site and, uh, having to take some of that out. You just gotta, cause it's, you're, it's for the audience to enjoy uh-huh. and to inform them. And some people are offended by that. Some aren't. And maybe that's fine, but you gotta be careful. <laughs> Well, and you know, and, and for me, the whole profanity thing, it's, it's, it's probably more a personal thing than I, you know, cause I see a lot of other sites 
drop F-bombs left and right, you know. I just always have believed, in, and I, you know, again, we sort of teach our students um, just to have some composure, uh, decorum when, you you know, they have, they're usually, frankly, some of the best dressed uh, reporters when they're covering events because we make them dress nice. We want them to sort of, I think how you carry yourself sends such a big message to um, whether it's the people you're covering, the people you're working with. Um, if you down the road want to be that guy that drops F-bombs during a podcast or in a story you're writing for Deadspin, that's fine. But for <laughs> me, you've got to spend your early years, you know, being sort of a master of yourself in the sense of how you carry yourself, how you ask questions, how you appear, your timeliness. I mean, it sounds so cheesy, but those simple lessons, I think, go a long way in not only how others see you, but frankly will help you in the, in your career paths down the road. Yeah, I don't even think it's cheesy. I think it's just necessary. You have to have the self-control. You have to have the ability to take direction to – because, I mean, you as a teacher, as all the teachers that I had and all the people that mentor, mentored me so far, I mean, you have to – it's it's you're you're it's just like the military and other places they're breaking you down so that you can have the core values that you need to have and then right. as soon as you've mastered those you can find your way as the creative process find your way find your voice to to tell these stories yeah no i i sort of like the military analogy it's kind of i think we like to think of Cronkite as kind of a boot camp right of getting everybody ready and prepared so for sure sure is i remember my 301 class it was brutal <laughs> Oh man, that was crazy. Um, why don't we transition to, uh, um, unless you have any other nuggets of journalism wisdom to share with us, anything that comes to mind? Just, um, you know, it's been, when we were talking about this with social media, there's such a quest and thirst to be first, and that's a great thing for your career, but, uh, you know, the old adage of it's better to be right than first. It's it's still so true in these days when we want to break stories because things are popping up on social media. If it means you're getting to a story a little bit later, posting it a little bit later, make sure you have your facts right and don't necessarily trust what you you read on social media. Um, 90% of that information is good, but we've had situations where students have re retweeted things that turned out not to be true, you know, so just have to be careful and, and make sure you're accurate. Yeah, typically being 10 minutes before the other person is less helpful than being wrong. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Is, 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 is not helpful. Um, for sure. I mean, leave the, uh, leave the breaking news to Schefter and um, Adrian Rojanowski <laughs> and stuff for sure. Well, why don't we talk about the Suns a little bit here, since this is the Solar Insights podcast. Um, what, let's start off with really generally, what do you think of Devin Booker and what he can become, potential, etc.? Well, first, I've, I've loved that, you know, understandably, the Suns are all in with him. They're going to pay him what they want. They're letting him have a voice. I mean, they've, they've come out and said he's going to have a voice on the people we bring on to this team in the, in the future. Um, he's offensively the way he has adjusted to how defenses have adjusted to him have been really impressive. And so I, it's, I think it's so exciting for this franchise to sort of have a centerpiece, a guy that people really embrace. Uh, are there things he needs to work on? Of course. I mean, you know, there, there's a defensive angle. There's always going to be challenges, I think, coming the better he gets offensively, um, things like that. But he's just on this upward trajectory. Um, I like his attitude, and I think 
you know, compared to some of the other teams in the NBA that are in similar positions, what the Suns have is a guy that it, that they can centerpiece. Now, they don't have all the parts yet, but, I mean, I, I it's exciting for this franchise to think that this guy is is with them and should be with them for a long time. For sure. I mean, his defense has improved, but, of course, it's probably always going to be below average, um, partially because of the necessary effort needed to be expended on the offensive end. But I like the way he's dealing with double teams this year. His passing has improved. Um, I think, I mean, he's averaging about 24, 25, and 6, and 6, which is not bad. I think there's something to be said for him being in the All-Star conversation. Whether he makes it or not is something else. I think some people with Kawhi being hurt, other people being out, there's a potential he gets in. I'm not um, saying he's a front runner of any sort. I think... It's, I mean, the first, uh, it's, I mean, in the west, west, west and the, uh, guard sections, it's gonna be Harden and Staff or Harden and Westbrook or somebody like that. Um, he may get in as, again, the coaches or at the end there, the tail end, but we'll see. What do you think about that in terms of All-Star? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly deserves, like you said, to be in the conversation. I think the challenge is some of the names you've mentioned and kind of getting caught up in the numbers game, but, you know, there's a lot to like about Booker and there are people who make decisions based on upside and things like that. So if we're not seeing him soon, if we're not seeing him now, we're going to see him soon. He's just his, he keeps working on his game and keeps improving and he's, he's all-star material. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so it's for sure. Um, what do you think about kind of this whole coach situation with the blood so gone with, with how much pressure is on them and, People are, Booker put his, his weight behind Triano and then, but there's like Fisdale in the, in the wings potentially and other ones that will, other jobs that will open up and more candidates to fill this position. What do you think, who do you think they should go after or how the process should go? You know, and, and Eric, I haven't watched this team as closely as you have, but I, there's been a lot of, to like with Triano. I mean, you know, there was that game the other day where he made a decision on the last the last play of the game that they won that a lot of people didn't even know the rules for, right? About the inbound pass and things. I mean, the guy obviously knows what he's doing. And when you have a vote of support from, you know, the best player, I think that's good. I, you know, I don't know how much value there is in sort of continually changing who is leading this team. And, and unless there's a really convincing argument that it's not him, I do not have a problem with this team sticking with them. And I think there's some value to continuity with because there's certainly not continuity always with players, but to sort of have a coach that understands the system um, that has a good relationship with players. Um, I would have no problem with him being the guy they stick with. Yeah. I think it would be definitely helpful for him to have a full training camp instead of like three games in the season. But the one thing that I think is the most important as I think other people in Suns Twitter have uh, echoed is that they do need to interview other people. They didn't interview anybody else before the Earl Watson and Triano's, I think, clearly a better coach than Watson, but I still think they need to interview several, three candidates at least, to make sure that they're, they're not passing up on a surefire thing, I guess you might say, a maybe more established coach that has been a head coach more recently for more often and more successful. Because, I mean, Triano in Toronto was horrible from what I remember, but he also didn't have the best talent there. Yeah, and I and I think the idea of interviewing others is is key. You know, there's guys like Eric, even Eric Musselman out there, college coaches that have succeeded that have had some NBA experience. I mean, there there's 
I think there's a lot of names and you bring them all in and you decide um, what's best for the team. So I don't fault them at all for bringing people in. I, I guess I would just say I wouldn't totally discount Triano despite sort of what happened with the Raptors, you know, I mean, that doesn't always tell the whole story. I agree. I, I do like what I've seen from Triano mostly this whole time. Um, what do you, let's transition to some more of the players again. There's this whole, they got this, they're in the same draft, Bender and Chris. We've seen some really interesting things from both of them, but they also haven't really established themselves as what they need to be. What do you think of the two of them? You, I'm sorry, you were cutting out uh, a little bit. Can you say that again, Eric? I'm sorry. I'm sure. Uh, what do you think? They were taking the same draft. What do you think about Bender and Chris and how the two of them have developed and really what they should think about going forward? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, of, of all these players, when you look at Bender and what he's become and his three-point shot and things like that, now there's obviously a lot of room for growth, but the steps that he's taken taken have been impressive. And I frankly was not a guy that was a person that was really high on him initially. I know um, you got to take into account that he's he was young, but you look at him now, a seven footer can handle the ball, and um, with his three point shot stepping up, I think there's there's value in that. And I've always been a Chris fan. There's always going to be issues with him because his basketball experience coming in is not like some of the other guys on the court. So his basketball IQ is going to take time. But some of those plays that he makes, you know, obviously physically he's talented. He's a very smart guy. He can he can learn things. So I'm, a, you know, I'm a fan of both. I wasn't initially a Bender, but I think he's really made some strides this year. What do you, what do you, have you thought about Bender and Chris? I've been a less of a Chris fan just because uh, my uh, cousin is Matt Norlander at CBS and college feature writer there so he was he had seen Chris in college and was not as much of a fan and I was kind of skeptical at first as well um Bender was so highly hyped by the Suns people Suns Twitter people and uh, just kind of we just thought so much of him and his defensive uh, technique and stuff is pretty impressive um and I can't wait till he gets a couple more years of strength as Eddie Johnson would say rather than weight and some more just the ability to put the ball on the floor his confidence has really skyrocketed this year um, in terms of taking it and and being his problem he had before was he was not decisive in mm-hmm. taking the ball off um, from from catch and shoot opportunities right. instead of like driving. I saw one when I was watching the game last night today, um, and uh, he had the three pointer. Someone closed out on him, one dribble pull up, and it was decisive. Something I'd never really seen from him before. And Chris had an excellent game where he had putbacks, two threes in a row, swished them. But I just wish Chris would show more consistency in his ability to do what he can do. He does it sometimes, and he fades away. He's probably, almost certainly, the most foul-prone person on the team fouled out again. Mm-hmm. Which is incredible because he splits time with Bender. Pretty feels like down the down the down the middle, or at least close to it. Uh, so that's interesting for sure. That's that's what my opinion on them. We'll see. The problem is that it seems like. Neither one of them seem to be the starter of the future. It's right. probably going to be somebody that whoever they draft this year, if they don't get Donich, um, to, to be the point guard along with Booker, is it, which would be amazing. Um, he's overseas right now and playing out of his mind. If they go and get that, they're going to get some probably a big, unless they get Trey, uh, young out of Oklahoma. Um, but they probably have a big that's going to replace either Chris Bender or maybe Len Chandler, depending on what the fit looks like. So we'll see. Well, you know, 
And that consistency with Chris you're talking about is huge. And frankly, I mean, the last few games I think he's played like someone he showed he can play in the NBA. It's just a matter if he can do that consistently. And I think now's the time he needs to show that's the case. For sure. And um, some people are um, railing against keeping Chandler on the roster. I am a pro Chandler person because the the money just nowadays isn't that big of a deal. And until you get someone, like, if you can get Clint Capella or something, then sure, deal Chandler. But don't deal Chandler just to deal Chandler. Like, I'm already older than everybody on this team except for three people. That should not be the case. <laughs> and, like, don't get rid of everybody but Dudley. Like, Dudley's the veteran that's here. Chandler should be the other one. And just don't worry about it. <laughs> well, they seem like they can't decide what to do with those veteran centers. You know, it's tricky with Chandler. And then there's Greg Monroe and Alex Len who – you know, the, his whole contract situation is interesting because of how he's played of late as well. So they've got some decisions to make. I know Tyson has brought a lot to that team beyond sort of what he can do on the court. But, uh, you know, he's still performing pretty well for his age. So they, I know they've got some tough decisions with that position down the road. And Al, Alan Williams, I had him on the podcast mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and he's coming back in three weeks-ish, somewhere, somewhere around there. Um, and he's very talented. Definitely Alex Len. I have actually been his entire tenure on the Suns is when I've been really focused on the Suns. I, when he was a rookie, uh, I interviewed, I didn't interview him because I was interviewing, um, the guard. Oh my gosh. Out of Kentucky. Oh, he's not in the NBA anymore. What is his oh. name? Mm, can't remember his name. Anyway, Archie, Archie, Archie. Anyway, I was interviewing him, but. I've seen Alex Len from the beginning to now, uh, and it's, it's incredible his, uh, his ability. I am so happy that he stopped shooting those jumpers. It was, <laughs> it was, it was hurting me physically. <laughs> Kidding. Um, to see those, to see him fade away on those and miss them, especially since like I'm an impact certified a trainer and I'm all about basketball and stuff and it just, just, I couldn't handle it. But I love, he's more explosive. He's able to be, again, more decisive now that he's got away from these nagging, nagging injuries, the finger, the, the leg, the foot, little things that have been nagging him in the beginning of his career. And he's able to really be decisive. He still needs to work on uh, finishing on the rim better with contact, but it's getting better. And I think they should resign him for decent money. Uh, then they have him, Chandler, and Williams, and none of them are starting caliber for a playoff team, I guess you might say. But right. they are all good, solid backups and to see what you can have as maybe trade bait and then see what you can get in the draft and free agency. Yeah, I mean, I think in that area, and I think, it was it Archie Goodwin who you were Archie talking Goodwin, about? Archie Goodwin, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I think, um, I mean, this is a, I feel like we say this every year, right? But it's another big year for McDonough. And, and a lot of it is based on what you were just saying of how they're going to play the situation out with their centers, what they're going to do with, you know, who they have in the draft and the, and where they can pick. And I think a lot's going to unfold because, you know, I still think, I think there's a, a good relationship with him and Robert Sarver, but I don't think anyone has said fully, you know, Ryan McDonough has made a hundred great decisions. He's made some very good ones, but I think this is a very telling year for him again. Yeah, I'm, I am probably the most pro McDonough person around here, around these parts. I don't, I just, the, the ability that he can, the, the first round picks he gets out of things that should not get first round picks out of, like Marquise Morris, you should, nobody should have gotten a first round pick for him at, with the, the leverage they had. And then the two first and something for Drogic with what he had 12 hours to make that trade. 
it's just incredible. Although he obviously made mistakes, but again, the Isaiah Thomas one, he got him for nothing. He got Bledsoe for basically now, because they have Jared Dudley back, a second rounder. So there's just a lot of things he's done right. Uh, I, I like that they brought in James Jones to help with the personnel department. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. But I do think it's a big year. It's a big year. I was telling someone, uh, another Suns writer, I'm really excited to see what the Suns roster looks like on, what was it, February, like 20th, like after the trade deadline uh, mm-hmm. next year. Right. So in about yeah, a year and a month. Just, yeah, no quit, no question, just to see some of the moves that they've made and decisions they've made. And I'm with you on sort of McDonough and his decision making, his, his analysis and, and talent evaluation. I think he's done a great job. I think the one area that this franchise has struggled with in, in recent years is when they lose these good guys, there seems to be communication breakdowns. Um, as far as, you know, whether it's with the Morris brothers or whether it's with, um, you know, guys getting their feelings hurt, you know, Goran Dragic, that was the strangest thing to me in the world when he left and some of the things he said, cause he was, seemed like the ultimate team player, nice guy. So I think communicating sometimes has been an issue with the management and with the players. Um, but from a sort of talent evaluation standpoint, I agree with you. He's done a really good job there. So I've been listening to different, um, little, like national podcasts, like Zach Lowe, et cetera, that there's, there's a perception around the league that the Suns are one of the, say, top five, maybe worst run franchises, or maybe it's not even true, but the perception is that they just don't know how to deal with players like you're talking about. And my question is, I've been asking this to some people, how do you think that turns around? Some people have said just winning. Some people have said, um, like other things. What do you think? Well, you know, I think there's a couple things in play. I think the reality is when Robert Sarver took over this franchise, he was a a very successful businessman, but being successful in business and in money, finances, does not make you necessarily a good leader in a sports organization. It's a whole different dynamic. And so I think he's had to learn on the fly a little bit. I think he made um, some mistakes early on in the decision-making. You know, I think he was maybe too vocal, too involved. I sense he stepped away a little bit from sort of the micromanaging. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but I think that's one way they um, kind of change that image. Um, the other is what you said. It's winning. Some great franchises have had horrible owners or bad people or whatever, you know. I mean, winning cures all ills, and I think the perception of the franchise for sure would change if they were successful. And so they need to get back in the postseason, and they need to start making a fat, you know, being a factor in the postseason because this the playoff drought um, for an NBA team is getting pretty ridiculous. Yeah, the Timberwolves are the the leader there, but they're going to break that this year. Um, the thing is about winning cures all. I think the most, most interesting development of that is the Chicago Bulls this year. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, they, he literally punched his teammate right. before the season and now they are leading the team and into like what a ton of wins. It's incredible. Sure. Winning cures all. It is. People forget, you know, they can have short memories with stuff like that. No question. It's it's amazing. Um, what about the other players? What do you think about Warren Ulyss in terms of their abilities, their ceilings, their fit with this team? I I love um, TJ Warren, and I've liked him since he was in college. I think he's just he find ways to score. Yeah, he needs to improve. I think 
the three point shooting, but he makes some big plays and, and I think there's a great value in having him on the roster. I love Euless just to watch him, but I think they need to resolve this point guard situation. I don't know if they have an NBA starting point guard on this roster. And I think, you know, that may be the key down the road to their success. So I think there's a place for Euless on this team. I love how hard he plays. Um, he's dynamic and everything else, but I, I think that's a, that's a, an issue that they need to resolve. Yeah, I mean, he he's just so small. Like, I was watching that game against the Sixers, and he's getting destroyed by Ben Simmons, obviously. He's 6'10", and he's a foot taller than the point guard he's guarding. Um, and just, it doesn't work. But I, I think that Cannon and and Euless are both solid second point guards. I think that, the like we talked about a little bit earlier, if they, bring, if they get Luka Donich from overseas, mm-hmm. he's a starting point guard along with Booker. You throw in Warren or Josh Jackson or mm, probably not both. Then you have Chris... Len Bender, something like that. And that's a good starting lineup. I think that'll work. So I think I like Ulyss. Warren, like I always say, is he has one, fix one of the two things. He can stick in the league forever. He needs to either be a three, better three point shooter or he needs to be better at positioning and defense. He's abysmal at that, but that's okay. Cause he's very, like you said, very talented with his putbacks. It's perfect with Booker around shooting. He's able to cut. I think he's the best off ball cutter since Wade. Um, it's it's amazing. Well, and you just you just sort of sense he's on the brink of of being great. You know, and there's obviously the shortcomings we we're talking about, but he sure seems like a guy that can turn the corner and make an impact with the team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the last one is Josh Jackson. He right. What do you think of his development? His first in his first couple months in the league. Uh, what you would think of a lot of like guys with a lot of talent coming out of college, there's moments you're like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is great. He's making an impact. And there are times you're like, why did you do that? <laughs> you know? Um, but I, I, I mean, gosh, I was a fan of another one of those players I was a fan of in college. And I think, you know, if you have the right staff to develop him and the right players around him, I think that's going to turn out to be a great pick. Yeah, I think that his his shot will be smoothed out within two years, and he'll be fine. He'll be an average shooter, um, and his just his ability to play in transition to get those floaters, those drives. His shot selection needs to be a little better, but he's got the intensity. Although his intensity is like perfectly focused, like people had concerns about him being like a hothead or something. Right. I have not seen that at all this year. Not an issue. I agree. That's just not. It's not even a storyline. I mean, anymore. he has passion, and he has. It's not like he's like like passive or something, but. He's not, I mean, Chris is more emotional and he's even better than that this year, but Chris is still more emotional and Booker's more emotional than, than, than Josh Jackson is. And it's just like the perfectly fueled passion towards the game in terms of scrappiness for the ball. He's the new PJ Tucker, but not on the same level, of course, in terms of Tuckerness. Right. But, uh, right. But he's, he's going to replace that. He's perfect there. The question long term, depending, of course, on, like we said, all the factors, but the center and point guard position is, who starts next year at small four? Is it Booker? I mean, it's a Jackson or is it uh, Warren? Depending on what they need. Yeah, no, and we may see that you know again if it's if it's uh, you know if they get a new coach if they stay with uh, who they have now. I mean, that's probably going to impact that decision making and lineups and everything else. But those are two guys both that I want on that team because I think there's just so much talent between them. Yeah, my my idea is if they have a good, if they have Luka Doncic or Trey Young at point guard, if they have somebody who can score there, then they put Josh Jackson there and put Warren to the bench where he torches all the second units, 
And uh, that's probably the that's the best case scenario, I would think. Yeah, I mean, have him having Warren come off the bench, you know, <laughs> that's a pretty good bench. That's a pretty good bench with Alan Williams, Tyler Ulis, and Bender. Like that's a pretty good bench. So you just have to see him develop as they're all, I mean, they're all so young. I was talking to Alan Williams and he's the fourth, he, he's not even, in, he's still in a rookie contract and he's the fourth oldest player on the team. It's amazing how young this team is. Yeah. I mean, and then Monroe and or Chandler are probably going at the deadline and then they have just Dudley. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So it's going to be interesting. Well, this has been a fantastic uh, time here. Um, why don't you plug what you got going on there at ASU and uh, we'll get out of here. Well, we're starting up our, you know, spring semester and next week pretty much. And for those of you, if there's like younger people considering going into sports journalism, I will tell you Cronkite's probably number one in the country right now in their sports journalism program. You set a good standard there, Eric, <laughs> and there, there's a lot of cool things. So that's what we're focused on that working in that sports bureau in the spring. Yes, definitely go check out that. It's, it's, it was. The best thing I always say, yeah, it's just, it's just so, it was so fun. It was so awesome. Well, um, check out the Solar Insights podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Um, please subscribe, rate, review, etc. on all the platforms. Also, check out my other business, Elite Hoops Development. I'm Impact Certified. They help make Kawhi Leonard and, uh, DeMarcus Cousins All-Stars and do all their first round picks. I'm certified by them. Only one in Arizona. And I have some clients and I'd love to add you to mine. So if you know anybody who's trying to learn how to play basketball better, let me know. Thanks for coming and, uh, take a listen to all the other podcasts and have a great day. Thanks so much. Thanks, Eric.